Awesome. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. I want to encourage everyone this morning to silence your phones and to allow yourself to, if there's something going on in your mind right now, something that throughout the week has been kind of burdensome to you, something that you're thinking about that might take away from what the Lord wants to speak to you this morning, just lay it upon God that he's going to take care of you that he has a plan for you and that trial. And just be open to what he has to say to you this morning. And with that, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. We just started it as of last week. Luke, in his Gospel, had a desire to document what happened in the life of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples of Christ. Luke, his account starts in the book of Acts when he joined Paul. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. And because Luke was a doctor and a man of of science and of, of the Lord, he took careful notes and eyewitness testimony. He interviewed people. And wanted to get as much of, he, of the story that he could concerning Christ. In fact, Luke has 55 accounts, 55 stories that none of the other gospel writers even mentioned. And I find that interesting about Luke. You'll find that in Luke's gospel, he'll often note some of the symptoms that sick people had. Because Luke was a doctor. And in the beginning of Luke's gospel, he wanted to document the coming of Christ here on this earth as a human being. What took place when the angel appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to have a son and they would call his name Jesus and that he would turn Israel back to God. And the angel told Mary that one of of the signs that this was going to come true would be was that her relative Elizabeth, who Elizabeth was old in age, unable to have children, the angel told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was going to have a child. And that's where we left off last week. We started on Luke chapter 1 and we got up to verse 38. The angel told Mary that she was going to have the Messiah, Jesus. And then now Mary is going to leave where she's at in Judea to go to Judah to meet with Zacharias and Elizabeth. You see, in the Israeli religion and culture, there was a hope for the Messiah to be born through one of the young women it was prophesied of. So there was often, when a boy was born, the woman who had that child was hopeful, maybe this is the promised Messiah. And it was considered an honor to have that boy. And because of this, they started to name a lot of their kids Joshua. 
because they were hoping that that was who Jehovah was going to bring salvation through. In fact, the name Joshua and Jesus have the same meaning. Joshua, you have those two words, Jehovah, Shua, meaning Jehovah, God, Shua is salvation. God is salvation. And Jesus is of the same nature. Jesus comes from Jesus, and Jesus is the same thing. Jehovah is salvation. Now, there was also the belief that to not have children meant that a woman was cursed and unable to bring the Messiah forth. She didn't have that at all. Interestingly enough, there was actually a, a small sect of Israelis called Druze, and they had some weird mixed religion where they, they mixed the Islamic religion with their own, but more recently they practiced that the men would wear these really baggy pants and loose-fitting pants because their religious belief was that the Messiah was going to come through a man. And so because of this, they wore baggy pants, not to be gangster, but they wore that because they thought they might have be the father of the Messiah, which is like super weird. And that's just part of the Middle Eastern religions. But looking back at what Luke was documenting, he told us that Gabriel told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant. So Mary now is on her way to visit Elizabeth. And this is where we pick up in Luke 1, verse 39. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So now she's journeying somewhere between 80 to 100 miles from the region of Galilee to the hill country of Judea. Now perhaps she made haste because she knew that people wouldn't understand that she was pregnant, that it was miraculous conception. She knew people would perhaps, she, her life was in danger now of being stoned because she was engaged to Joseph. So she goes to her relative in Judea. And then in verse 41, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So now we have these two relatives coming together, Elizabeth and Mary. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the unborn child in Elizabeth's womb leaps and is filled with the Spirit. See, just the presence of Jesus near that new unborn baby was awesome enough for that little baby to rejoice. And I'm reminded how much rejoicing we have when we're close to Jesus. If an unborn child rejoices in the womb while Jesus is in another womb, how much more so are we going to rejoice when we are finally face to face with Christ in heaven? In verse 42, it says, Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see, Elizabeth, she recognizes the honor that Mary was given to bear the Messiah. 
And she's not jealous. She's happy for her relative. You know, oftentimes in our lives, we can become jealous of one another. When somebody else gets blessed, we're like, man, why aren't I getting blessed? Or why don't I have that gift or talent or that ministry or a relationship, whatever it could be. But that's not what the Word of God teaches is is good. I'm encouraged to, when I see my brother or sister in the Lord moving forward and, and growing, I'm, I'm encouraged to celebrate alongside them. And I'm encouraged that, you know what, God didn't make me like everybody else and God didn't make you like anybody else either. We're all created uniquely and different because God has a specific purpose for your life. If we were all AC technicians, then we wouldn't be know how to fix cars or all these other attributes that we could be, you know? But then when you allow God to lead your life, when you allow his desires to become your desires, all of a sudden you realize that you're living that purpose-filled life, that God designed you for something. And when you're trying to go against God's will, and you're doing other things that he didn't have planned for you, then you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be like, man, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm anxious, I'm, I don't have contentment. But that's because you're not doing what you were made to do, which you were made to serve God. You were made to follow him and worship him. So Elizabeth is rejoicing with Mary. It says in verse 44, For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So again, this babe is rejoicing in the womb. And it is noteworthy to state that the child in Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit at this point. It heard the voice of Mary. Now, there's studies done today that they know that babies recognize even parents' native language when they're in the womb. They probably know the shows of your favorite sitcom as you are watching them all the time. And I'm reminded that in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So you see, life, it begins in the womb. The Bible teaches us that the two shall become one, the male and the female. Now it's noteworthy concerning the debate on abortion. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear people say, well, it's just a clump of cells. It's, it's not a human life. The Word of God teaches us that our, our souls are created when the two become one. And that same way that you plant an apple seed, 
in the ground. It's not going to become anything other than an apple seed. It's not going to turn into an orange seed or an orange tree. So that sperm and egg together, they grow into a human being. So the Bible teaches us, you know, we, we value human life. Now, I don't, we don't need to make it a, a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. Because then as soon as you make it a, a political issue, then you divide. But pro-life, that's a spiritual issue. We teach the word of God. And sometimes you come across people in your life when you're going to come across people who are like, hey, what's your opinion on, on uh, abortion? And you just have to tell them the truth. We can't be afraid or, or, or so cautious about our own preservation that we're going to dishonor God and not proclaim his truth. So the life that was living inside of Elizabeth, it had joy. It rejoiced. In verse 45, it says, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. That word for blessed, it means, oh, how happy. How happy are you when you simply believe the promises of God? Elizabeth here, she's encouraging Mary. As Mary has been chosen, selected to bear the Messiah, that's now her ministry. Elizabeth is encouraging her in it. And I think that's something that we need to practice in our lives is encouraging others and allowing God to use you to encourage others. I'm reminded of Barnabas in the book of Acts, how he was the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. And we constantly see him helping out Paul in his journey, being that encourager. So many times we're, we're, instead of encouraging, we're tearing people down. But we need to build up. Husbands need to build up those strong attributes in, in their wife that they have, their strengths, rather than focusing on their weakness and tearing down their weaknesses, build up what they're strong in. Be encouragers. Now we get into as Mary is having this interaction with Elizabeth, Mary has this worship song that she just writes on the spot. It says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That word magnify, it means to show to be great. To give honor. You know, in our worship songs, when we proclaim that the Lord is, is great, we're not making him greater. We're proclaiming that he is great. We can't lift God higher than he is. He is already the highest. So we're proclaiming, God, you are the highest. Now, worship that she's singing about, it's not only in words. It's also with, she's saying it physically with her body, with her soul, with her mind. She says, my spirit has rejoiced in my God, my Savior. 
Now, the reason why she's saying this is because she's a three-part being like all of us here today. We are three-part beings in that we are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. Now, before we were Christian, before we came to know Christ, our body appetites, they governed what our soul did. And our spirit was pretty much dead. And it was our body appetites that governed where we were going and what we were doing and the sin that we partook in. But when Christ came into our hearts and into our minds, into our life, that trichotomy got flipped upside down where now our spirit, which was awakened and made new by Christ, governs our soul, which our soul is basically who you are, your desires, your, your want, your, your will. So the spirit now governing the soul now makes the body under submission to the spirit and the soul. So let's not have it flipped the other way around where our body appetites are guiding our life. But let us have the Holy Spirit empower us so that the spirit is guiding our our desires, which is guiding our body to follow. Now, Once we came to Christ, we were made alive. We're now in submission to God and we can worship him truly, fully, completely. Just as Mary is here and something I'm reminded of is how worship music has that effect. Yesterday, actually, I was working on a difficult air conditioning unit. And sometimes uh, it makes you just so frustrated that you start crying out to God like, why God? Why is this not working? <laughs> you want to throw your tool at the unit. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I found that when I'm working, it helps me to just have some background music on. But especially in times when it's getting crazy and I'm getting frustrated, to allow worship music to come on. And I found yesterday that it, it really helped me just kind of stay calm throughout my evening. I wasn't frustrated as I could have been. But I was realizing, okay, God's going to take care of this. God, you, you never fail me. So maybe you need to allow worship music back into your life. Our relationship with God, it's one of worship. It's one of reading the Bible. It's one of prayer. We need all three of these things. And when we lack in one area, we're affected. The flesh begins to grow in us. And then sometimes when we lack in reading our Bible, we need to put on some worship music so you can allow your spirit to be revived and then it's going to give you that desire to be reading your Bible. Or vice versa, maybe sometimes you've been far from worship music and you need to get in your word and hear God give you truth and then just realize, you know what, I I need to put on that worship music too. And I need to pray and all three of those things need to be in involved in us having a relationship with God. And Mary, she is showing that she is just praising God for his goodness. Look at verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. 
Now, God didn't look for a young maiden from some rich family, but he chose Mary from a humble origin. God chose Mary, who was human. Mary was a human being. She wasn't perfect. She had sin in her life. And still God chose her. Now her son Jesus, he did not have sin in him. He was tempted in all things, the Bible teaches us, but yet without sin. And it would seem as though that the sin gene passes through the male. Because Mary, who conceived of the Holy Spirit, did not pass that sin gene on to Jesus. So guys, sorry, we have to take the blame on this one. Now, one thing I note in verse 48 is that she is viewing herself not in a condemning way and not in a boastful way, but in reality. She's looking at herself in the lens of God. And that's how we should view ourselves. We don't need to be condemning ourselves and saying, man, like, I'm a terrible person I'm a, uh, and I don't deserve any love in my life and I, I, I just want to die. That's condemnation. And then the flip side of that, it's like, well, I'm so good. Like, I don't need God. I'm, you know, beautiful and, and young and I, I could do whatever I want. That's boastfulness. But when you look at yourself and the reality of who you are, yeah, you're a sinner saved by grace. When you understand that it's not for your work that you're saved, but it's because of the love of Christ that you're saved, it removes that boastfulness. It removes the condemnation. And then God can just use you fully. In verse 49, and she continues in her worship song, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see, often in prayer and worship, we sometimes focus only on our trials and on our needs. And we forget to proclaim the things that God has done for us, that he's doing for us. Sometimes I have to remind people that, you know, God is not a vending machine. You don't just go to him whenever you need something. It's like, okay, God, I need you to bail me out on this one. I need you to bail me out today. Or I need this in my life. No, God deserves you to serve him because he's holy. He's a holy God. Perfect and all-powerful and all-sovereign. And he deserves our worship. Now, the awesome thing is that God loves us enough to still bless us over and abundantly where those things in themselves should be worthy enough for us to praise who he is. But that's not the, the foundation of why we worship God. We worship God because he is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's who he is. So in your prayers, remember, thank God for what he's done for you. In verse 50, it says, And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. That word for mercy in the Old Testament is the same word as love. I love how in Mary's song of praise, 
she actually proclaims the attributes of God, of his characteristics. You see, God is omnibenevolent, meaning he is all love. Now, whatever God is, he's 100% of it. So if God is good, he's all good. If God is knowing, he's all knowing. If God is wise, he's all wise. And if he's not something, then he's none of it. There is no evil in God. In verse 51, he has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Right here, she's singing of how God is all-powerful. It's omnipotence. You see, God can do miracles. God can save you. That's a miracle within itself, that God saves people. When we recognize in prayer and in worship who God is at the beginning, we realize, man, God really can answer our prayers. If you look at a lot of the prayers in the Bible, that's how they start off. God who created the heavens and the earth. God who is, knows the foundation of the earth, was there when earth was created. When you realize, man, how awesome and powerful God is, it then puts into perspective uh, the, bio, the situations that we come across, the trials. It's like, man, God can take care of it. In verse 52, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now often in Hebrew poetry, the author will write of two opposing themes. And in that time, that was a way to be poetic. Now I find that in the reality that we live in, that oftentimes what the world thinks of as good is not the truth, but it's actually the opposite. The Bible told us that in the end times, they will call good evil and evil good. See, our world, we find value in money. We find value in success. We find value in fame and glamour. But the Bible teaches us about joy and hope, about peace and kindness and patience. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon of the Mount. Let's turn in our Bibles for a moment, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins to teach about the, what's called the Beatitudes. It's attitudes that we should be like, that we should have. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is sitting on this hill and he's preaching and teaching to his disciples about how the world is opposite of what the kingdom of God is like. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 3. It said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, in this sermon, I realize that all of our efforts sometimes to get on top in this life, to be top dog, to have people view us as a successful human being in this world, we tackle that attempt in a fleshly way. We tackle it not in the a way that the spirit is, not in the way of the kingdom. You see, oftentimes with, with Christ, it's so opposite of the world and we don't even see it. And I love how Jesus is saying, look, those who are, are weak are going to be made strong. So in all of our imperfections, when we come across those struggles in our hearts and our mind, we realize that Christ is going to redeem us in that. That there's going to be a day when we're, when we're complete and made whole without sin, without suffering, without weakness in heaven. So back as Mary is continuing her song of worship in Luke 1, verse 54. It says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. See, God remembers. He is faithful to keep his promises. With the trial that you're praying about, that God has given you a word of, that he has made promises to you. God is faithful to keep his promises. And then in verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now this is at the time when she shows up on Joseph's doorstep one day and she's got a little belly now. And he's like, what the heck? He's like, Oh my gosh, he probably was brokenhearted and angry. And in that culture, he had rights to put her away and allow her to go to trial. But because Joseph was a, a man of kindness, he decided, I'm, I'm going to put her away secretly and I don't want anyone to find out about her. But he was going to leave her. And then, thank God, the angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, don't worry. This is the Messiah who's coming. This is a, a miraculous conception. She didn't cheat on you. It's like, wow, okay. And he says, marry her. Marry, Mary." Now in verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So if you remember, we talked about this last week, Elizabeth and her husband Zacharias, they wanted to have a son throughout their whole life. They were already old in age, unable to have a son. And Zacharias was called to go minister into the temple 
And suddenly an angel appeared to him, Gabriel, and told him, Zacharias, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. And he is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah who's to come. And he's going to turn the hearts of Israel to repentance. And Zacharias was like, nah, dude, like we're too old. And the angels told him, it's going to happen. And because you doubted, you're going to be a mute until the, the son is born. And then Zacharias walked out of the temple and he wasn't able to speak anymore. And he was like, and he had to write down what he wanted to say to people now. So that's where we left off. And now nine months later, this birth is happening. God's promise is being fulfilled. And the relatives and the family, they rejoice with her. Now, something to understand in that culture, that it was considered a great privilege when a son was born to you. They would have musicians. And as soon as the, because they didn't know, they didn't have gender reveals back then. They couldn't tell the birth, what the, the sex was going to be while the child was in the womb. So when they found out the day of when the baby was born and it came out that it was a boy, they'd be like, strike up the band. And everyone would be like, yeah, like it's a boy. And then if it was a girl, then they would come like, it's a girl. And they'd be like, ah, oh, everybody go home. And that's just the way the culture was back then at the time. Now, thank God that through Christ and through Jesus and his teachings, through the New Testament, that through Jesus' teachings, women have been elevated more to the right position. Jesus has actually advocated for women's rights. Now, he's not a feminist in that form, but there has been change throughout the Bible in being implemented here in our culture. And it's awesome. So you guys can praise God for that. Now, after there's this celebration, it says in verse 59, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. See, both the husband and wife knew that the angel told them that he was going to be named John. Verse 61, but they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name, John. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. Now in verse 62, something that I realized that I'd never noticed before in the Bible, it's cool when you have those moments, that Zacharias, he was mute. He wasn't deaf. So they're writing signs to him and he's like, I, I could see, like I can hear, like you guys could talk to me. Like I, I'm, I just can't speak. So that probably had to be super annoying to him. They're like, what do you want? And he's like, I, you just talk to me. I can hear you. And they're like, oh, they asked him, what do you want the name to be? And then in verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? 
and the hand of the Lord was with him. So at the moment when he's writing it on the tablet and he's about to show them like his name's going to be John, suddenly the Lord just heals him and he's able to speak. He's like, his name's John. And then they're like, he could talk. So that was God miraculously being true to his word when the angel told him you'd be able to speak once John is born. Now this is John the Baptist that is being born. So Zacharias now has his prophetic worship session. Look at verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In verse 67, I note that Zacharias and both Elizabeth now are both filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I tell you guys this probably every time the filling of the Holy Spirit comes up. I ask you guys every week, and my dad, you will usually answer the question, but dad, I'm going to ask you not to answer this question this morning. (laughs) But there are three positions of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. The first position is with. The Holy Spirit comes alongside somebody and convicts them of sin, draws them towards God. And then at the moment of of commitment to Christ, the Holy Spirit then enters that person, that person's life, their heart, their mind. And then there's a third position of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Does anyone know what that third position is? So great. That's why I want you guys to write it down because this is a beautiful attribute of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is known as the upon experience. And the upon experience is when the Holy Spirit is in you so much so that the Holy Spirit then begins to flow out through you. That is the upon experience of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. And that could happen at a time separate from the time of salvation. So now both Zacharias and Elizabeth are filled. It says again now these the purpose of the Messiah to come in verse 68 was to redeem his people. And I love this idea of redemption. That's why I called I had a desire to name us Redeemed Church Fellowship. Now there's two definitions to me uh, of redemption. There's the classic definition of redemption, which is to purchase, to buy, to buy back, to redeem something like you're redeeming your hot dogs at a baseball game. But there is another, uh, I believe, more newer definition of, of redemption, to be redeemed. And that's to, to come back after something was lost. You know, maybe you you had a bad game one day and you just lost terribly and you're like, man, I just I need, I need to do really good on this ne- next game because I want to be redeemed. I want to redeem myself. That's the idea. And I love how I saw God do that in my life and my friends' lives. I saw him able to do that where though we were far away from God and that Satan took a toll in our life and robbed us 
God has redeemed us, and not only that, but given us more so. The Bible teaches that those who are forgiven much love much. And I find that to be true many times. Now in verse 69, there's the horn of salvation. It's a symbol of power. Again, God is all powerful. Look at verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. You see, God was teaching the Israelites through the Old Testament of the prophesied Messiah to come. There are over 300 prophecies of Jesus Christ coming in this earth. And we find those throughout the Old Testament. That's why right now we're going through the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights. And it's cool to see how God spoke through his prophets like Moses. Now, this song, it's spirit-inspired prophecy. And the crazy thing about it is, look at this. Zacharias is worshiping and praising God for his son, John, who was just born. But in his prophetic song, he's singing about the Messiah. He's not even singing about his son who was just born. And how beautiful is that when we in our lives are blessed? We're not singing and and worshiping what the gift is that we've been received, but we are singing and thanking God. So we, we should make sure to keep our eyes focused on the blesser rather than the blessing. In verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. When I go through that, I underline some of the actions that we see Jesus that he's going to do. In verse 71, I I underline the word saved because Jesus is a saving God. In verse 72, I underline mercy and remember because God is merciful. Jesus is merciful. And Jesus also, he remembers. He remembers the promises that he's made to us. And that we've been delivered from our enemies. He delivers us. And all of this so that we can live that purpose-filled life. In verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, holiness, it's rightness of character. Whereas righteousness is rightness in your conduct, in your actions. Now, sometimes people today, we have this endeavor to be right in our actions without right in our character, without right in our holiness, in our, heart, in our hearts, our minds. See, there's no motive strong enough to maintain righteousness other than holiness. So we can be doing all the right things on the outside and people, when they look at us, they think, man, that guy is, or girl is being used of the Lord. 
but they don't understand and know what our hearts and our minds are filled with. So we need to have that integrity, that holiness before the Lord himself. And God has to do this in us. We, we in our own strength, and when we try and do it in our flesh, we fail. But we have to, have to ask the Holy Spirit to do that work in our hearts and in our minds. Because when you do the right thing the wrong way, it's the wrong thing. Now Jesus, remember what he used to tell the Pharisees? Actually, what he used to tell his disciples about the Pharisees. He used to tell his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so his disciples were like, what do you mean? We see the Pharisees and the, and the scribes as being like super holy. And you're telling us that unless we, we exceed them, that we're not going to make it into heaven? But what Jesus was saying was that the Pharisees actually were hypocrites. He was saying your righteousness needs to be pure out of a right relationship with God. It's not about the works. God doesn't care that we're going to church on a weekly basis, that we're feeding the poor, or that we are doing right ministry things if we're not honoring him in obedience in our heart and in our mind. God wants our heart, our mind, our body. The Bible teaches us to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And this is what this song that he's singing is about in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remissions of their sins. So now referring to what John was going to do, John the Baptist, that word for remission, it means the release from bondage or imprisonment. It means forgiveness, a pardon of sins. And John would go out And he would cry out as a voice in the wilderness, make way a path for the Lord. And he would preach repentance. In our lives, we don't like that word repentance. We're like, ah, that's, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to repent. I'm good where I'm at. I'm I'm saved. I'm I'm a believer. I don't need to repent anymore. But when you mature and grow more in the Lord, You find yourself repenting more and more. And then you're going to be sinning less and less and repenting more and more. But then you're going to have peace in your heart and in your mind. Because our soul, it wars with our flesh. Our spirit wars with the flesh. And I'm standing up here before you guys today to let you know I struggle with it. I I love reading how Paul writes. He says, the things that I want to do, those things I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those sinful things, those things I practice. And I find myself then condemned. And who's going to save me from this? And Paul reminds himself, Jesus Christ. Thank God through Christ, 
We are redeemed. We're bought back. In verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. And that word for day spring, it's basically the rising of the sun, the rising of the stars. In verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So I see with this that our world is in darkness. And we are called to be light. Jesus says that we're called to be salt and light. And we don't hide our light, but we want to put it on top of a hill so it can shine out and people can see it. And we don't want to lose our flavor, that saltiness, the flavor of, of holiness. Because if we lose that, then we're, what good is salt for except to be just thrown on the floor? And I see preparation in John the Baptist in his life. As a child, he became strong in spirit and was called into the deserts before he publicly came out and began to proclaim the gospel, began to proclaim repentance. And many times that's the season that we're in, is in preparation. You know, every season is preparation for the next. This morning, this service, this was preparation for this next season that's coming your way. But that next season that you're looking forward to that's not it yet. It's preparation for the next season. What you're going through right now, sometimes maybe you're thinking like, oh, I just can't wait to be over there. But God wants us to focus and learn the lessons in the season that we're in to prepare us for that next one to come. Ultimately, to prepare us for eternity with him. See, even death, that's just preparation for eternity with Christ. So take worship with you this week. As we saw these two worship and prophetic songs proclaimed, allow yourself to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth this week. To be in prayer and encouraging to one another. To remember that God, he's all powerful. And he will fulfill his promise in your life. That he loves you so much that he did send Jesus and Jesus died for your sins and was risen again to give you a new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time just growing in your word. Like we pray and ask, Father, that in a season, Father, of distress in our seasons, Father, of unsurety. Lord God, would you give us strength? Father, may your Holy Spirit just work in our hearts and our minds this morning. Now, believers, Christians, as you're sitting here this morning, if there's 
something you want to get right with the Lord this morning. That you need the Holy Spirit to just help you to get through it. Just raise your hand. And, and I want to ask that after, I'm going to pray for you now. Well, why don't you just come up after service and, and speak with me for a moment? I, I do would like to pray for you. But let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, for those who rose their hand, Lord, I pray you would empower them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill them with worship for who you are. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. May we worship you not only in song, but with our lives. May your Holy Spirit fill us and flow into others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more song. Let's do that key of E. Let's all stand. I just want to be near your heart 
nothing like your love There is nothing like your love Father, go before us this week Prepare us, Lord God, use us We love you and we thank you It's in Jesus' name we pray Amen.